Merry Christmas. It's so wonderful to have you all here tonight. You know, our theme this evening is a weary world rejoices. And certainly as we celebrate Christmas this year, there's no question, there's no doubt that we do so in a weary world. I don't know if you've been paying attention online, but there have been actually a number of articles that have been written, online articles, op-ed pieces, uh, blogs and social media and so on. People wondering, people speculating, people debating whether or not 2016 is the worst year ever. I don't know if you've read any of those. People are saying, this is the worst year ever. And this past Monday, uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary, they announced their top word of the year of 2016. They've been doing this since like 2003, 2004. They choose the top word of the year. And the criteria for their selection of the top word of the year is what was the, the number one search on their website for a word. And so their top word of the year for 2016 is the word surreal. Now, the definition of surreal, why people go to Webster's in the first place to figure out, you know, what is the definition of this word, it's a word that describes something that seems unreal, something that seems like a, an hallucination or a bad dream. And uh, the word that, uh, of this word surreal, Webster's tells us that it's associated with shock and surprise. And interestingly, for Webster's Dictionary, what they've done is they've watched the the metadata as it comes in, and what they've seen is that spikes in the search for this word surreal have occurred in correlation with every major event of the 21st century. Fascinating article to read. Um, They saw a spike on this search for surreal um, after September 11th. They saw a spike in this search for surreal um, after the Boston uh, Marathon bombings. They saw a spike after the various shootings that have taken place. They saw a spike uh, when Robin Williams committed suicide. Spikes in the search for the word uh, surreal. They saw it spike again with the terrorist attack in Belgium and in Nice, France and in Paris, France and in San Bernardino, people searching this word uh, surreal. And in 2016, it was the top searched word of every other word, and they spiked after the rise of ISIS, after the Texas police shootings, uh, after the crisis in Syria, and certainly with the 2016 presidential race. People searching this word surreal. And while the word surreal becomes the word of the years to des- the year to describe various events of our time, well, the overall effect of these events leaves the world at large. Well, it leaves us fatigued. The, the effects of our events, they leave us drained. They leave us disheartened. They leave us tired. They leave us discouraged in a world... Our our world is weary. We are living in a weary world. Our world is weary of tragedy and loss. Our world is weary of disasters and wars. Our world is weary of injustice, of lawlessness, of evil being praised as good. 
of, of good being vilified as evil. We are weary of these things. And, you know, maybe tonight you come in here this evening, maybe you are weary. Maybe you've experienced some difficulties in 2016. Maybe for you, 2016 would be those experiences, those things to where you would say, I think this is the worst year ever. I am weary. One commentator put it this way. She said, the world is weary not only of the sadness of dying, but of the stress of living. Will you say to that, well, Merry Christmas to you too, Pastor Ted. <laughs> Holy gee, I was, I was excited about tonight. But, well, listen, <clears throat> indeed, Merry Christmas. And now more than ever, Merry Christmas. You see, Christmas always brings with it a message, and especially a message for such a time as this. Christmas brings songs that remind our hearts to sing, that remind our hearts to hope. Christmas brings a story that puts us in awe of what has been and of what is yet to be. Matthew tells us of this story in in Matthew chapter 1, put on the screen for you, tells us there that the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph, uh, before they came together, I'm sorry, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth the Son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And so all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And that is what we need today. We need God with us. We need God encouraging us, carrying us, redeeming us, saving us. We need God with us. And there are those that scoff at these Bible stories as tales, as stories, as fiction. But listen, the significance of what we've read here so far is that all of this was done, verse 22 says, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. It was prophesied in advance. God says in his word, who else tells you what he's going to do ahead of time and then does it? And I might add, with 100% accuracy. Prophecy is the greatest proof of Scripture. It is the greatest proof that God is who he says he was. And the prophecies of Jesus Christ that were fulfilled are overwhelming. We look at this from time to time. We look at this at Easter, the prophecies given of Jesus Christ, of his virgin birth, of all of the things that would transpire that are documented historical facts. 
And by the way, they're not anything that could be forged. If all of these things were things that, that happened just by random chance, the, the statistics are overwhelming. They, they outnumber, outnumber the molecules in the universe in terms of the probable odds that this could have just happened by random chance. This is prophesied. And we need that Savior with us, the Lord with us, the Virgin be with child, bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took to him his wife and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Luke continues the story of the gospel. It says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, and so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee and out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I'm going to go off on a tangent here and call an audible. This is not in my notes, but it's something the Holy Spirit just sort of lays on my heart here. The simple observation of this, that this was the worst possible timing for Mary. You ladies that have been pregnant, you know this is the worst possible timing for your husband to say, hop on the donkey, sweetheart, we're going for a trip. We're going on a little trip now, a little jaunt, it's going to be, and you, you would be, just kill me. This is horrible. A weary world rejoices, maybe tonight you're weary, and circumstantially you might be in a place of doubt. I believe that this is a word of the, of the Holy Spirit from, for you, to, to just take note of the fact that, that, that this might be an occasion for Mary and Joseph to, to in fact, doubt, to, to, to question, to say, God, don't you see, don't you care, don't you, don't you care that I'm in the middle of, of, of this whole thing? And, and, and just this, on, on top of everything else, on top of all of the insults, the ridicule, the murmuring, the questions that are coming about me as a gal who's, to, you know, some teenage gal telling people, well, yeah, you know what, this is, a, I'm pregnant and this is a work of God. I mean, God said miraculously, that this, and people are like, yeah, right, Mary. And all of the stuff that she's endured. And now on top of it, God you're allowing us to go through this. I'm weary, and yes, but you know what? God's working. He's working. He has purpose. He has a plan. God has a plan for you. He's fulfilling prophecy here. He's moving Jesus right where he wants him to be. There's no room for them in the end. They're in a barn. They lay their baby in a feeding trough, saliva-stained feeding trough. Because there's no room for them in the end. And now, verse 8, there were at the same, uh, in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be, take note of this, to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. God came to bring us peace. God came to give us what we could never attain On our own, he sent Jesus Christ to be the person and the work that would atone for your sins and for mine. This season always brings with it this message of hope. The hope in what was that God fulfilled his word. That God would send a savior into a world that was desperate for him. To a a time and a place where his people were going through trial. And those living under Roman occupation, were they to have the opportunity, might look at our circumstance and our situation here in America in 2016 and hear us whining and complaining about, is 2016 the worst year ever? And they would look at us and say, you babies, knock it off. What are you talking about? You want to talk about the worst year and yet God would show up and he would send the Savior and he would send the hope of mankind. The one that was promised. It brings us that message of hope in what was. But listen, Christmas also brings us the hope that is to come. Indeed, listen, the Christmas story is still unfolding. And you say, well, how is it still unfolding? Well, here we are. We're 2,000 years later and the miraculous night that took place in Bethlehem. 2,000 years ago, we now 2,000 years fast forward And we are a weary world. We are far removed from the silent night so long ago. And we groan for a king. The story continues with us. We turn on the TV. We watch the news. We we hear the death tolls calculated. We watch literally the smoke rise from the latest attack. We, we, you know, look in despair and watch as, as another law is passed that defiles God. We look in despair as we watch our nation going to hell in a handbasket. Now more than ever, we need a Savior. And that baby in the manger, Jesus Christ, is the living declaration of the Father's love. Who came to set the captives free. Who came to give sight to the blind. Who who came to bring orphans into into a holy and an eternal family. Jesus came to mend our brokenness. Listen to what Jesus said. He, he himself declaring, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me <clears throat> to preach the gospel to the poor. The gospel is the good news. And Jesus is saying here in, in this declaration in Luke chapter 4, which by the way is the starting of his ministry, the first things that he would say as he's reading 
from, the, from, from the, the prophet Isaiah, and he's saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And maybe that fits you today. Maybe you say, man, I'm, I'm brokenhearted. I need to be set free. I'm, I'm in bondage. I'm in bondage to my sin. I'm in bondage to the things of the world. I've been blinded for so long. And it just feels like even now, maybe I'm just, just sort of like groping in the dark. Jesus speaking these words, they're saying, listen, this is what I am. I am the hope of nations. I'm the hope of every weary heart. And the words that he's speaking come from the prophet Isaiah. He, he, the prophet Isaiah in, in Isaiah 61, these, these words that Jesus, uh, paraphrasing in Luke chapter 4, listen to what the prophet Isaiah said. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Listen to me. These are words of a prophet inspired by God. And what he's saying is, is that when the Messiah comes, this is what he's going to deliver to a world that desperately needs the Messiah, to a weary world that needs the oil of joy for mourning. The weary world that needs beauty for ashes. My life is an ash heap and I need someone to make it beautiful, to bring beauty out of it, to give me a future and a hope. And the, 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 the Isaiah the prophet continues that this Messiah is going to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they, listen, may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified and they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Maybe you go, well, there's a good description of what my life has been. Maybe I would vote for 2016 to be the worst year ever because it's, I'm sitting in ruins. Metaphorically speaking, it just feels that way. The Spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus Christ that he might deliver you from all of those things. And Christmas is that time when we look to the manger and we remember that God in heaven so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That we understand that God demonstrates his own love towards us in this. That while we're yet sinners, by nature and by choice I might add, God loved us by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins in our place. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He says there that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. It's fitting that the artistic symbol of our the theme of our message this year. A weary world rejoices. It's, it's Christmas tree. 
And people say, you know what, oh, the Christmas tree, that's a pagan symbol. That was, that was, you know, part of pagan worship. It has nothing to do with the things of God. Well, listen, as, as Christians, <clears throat> we look at the things of the world and we could do one of two things with them. We can receive it, we can reject it, or we can redeem it. And we look at the Christmas tree and we say, you know what, I'm going to redeem that message because our Savior was hung on a tree. He died for the sins of all mankind being, being nailed to a tree because I deserved to be nailed to a tree. Because, the, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. The thing that I've earned for the way that I've lived my life, the thing that you've earned for the way that you live your life is that we should be nailed onto a tree and that we should pay with our very lives because we've sinned against the holy God who gave us life. And there is only one thing that can atone for that, and it's death. And Jesus came, and he hung on the tree for us in our place. And so we decorate a Christmas tree as a symbol of Christmas. And, you know, in my house, that symbol is that my Savior hung on a, hung on a tree. And as I compare it now to the prophecy of Isaiah in 61... Hey, I can be called a tree of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. That can be a symbol for me that because my Savior died on a tree, that I can be like that tree that's planted by the rivers of living water. That I can be healthy, that I can grow strong. Listen, that baby on Christmas morning is the embodiment of this promise. That he is a God who is faithful to fulfill every promise, a deliverer, a deliverer who will return to rescue us, a righteous judge who will bring justice back to the earth, a bridegroom who's going to be faithful to his bride, a king who's going to rule the nations and before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, to the, God the Father. Listen, the baby in the manger is the resurrection and the life. He lived, he died, he lived again. We're studying the book of Revelation right now on Sunday mornings. We just looked at Revelation chapter four and it's a beautiful picture of the church of God, all of God's creation, the redeemed of the Lord. That we, we have this future and we have this hope and Jesus Christ gives to John this vision of what heaven looks like when the church is, is raptured and they're in the, experiencing the promise of God in the throne room of God and that picture that we see in Romans chapter four is the, the, is the church worshiping the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And listen Christmas is this hope that, listen, in him, we also can live again. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him, Romans chapter 10, verse 11, will not be put to shame. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is a simple gospel message. Gospel is good news. We're all sinners by nature and by choice. We have a God in heaven who loves us and who does not desire that any should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. And so what does he do? Jesus Christ, God himself, steps out of the splendor of heaven into the body of a man, comes to the earth, and what does he come to do? He came to die. That's what he came to do. We look at that baby in the manger, that's that, that, that innocent, pure, precious thing. I got grandbaby number nine on the way. 
I hold my grandchild in my arms and I say, this is innocent, this is pure, this is precious. And we consider Christmas and we think innocent, pure, precious, and that is all those things that God is. But Jesus came from the very beginning. My hour has not yet come, he would say. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. What was his hour? His hour was to die on the cross for the sins of mankind. So all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, the Bible promises you will be saved. And this Christmas, listen, we remember our God who took on infant flesh. We remember the man who embraced the cross, the Savior who broke open the grave. And listen, we set our hearts on the one, the only one who can bring hope to a failing world and hope to a fainting heart. And when the ache of this life exposes that this world is a fraud, and listen, it is, and we buy into it, and we buy into it hook, line, and sinker, and the world tempts us, and the world offers to us empty promises, and it says you can be fulfilled, and you can have all of your joys, all of your hopes can be fulfilled in the things that I, the world, have to offer you. And we buy into it, and it's only a matter of time before what happens is it's exposed as a fraud. That the we discover the world is irreparably broken. It's incapable of fulfilling the longing of our hearts. And that reminds us that this world is not what it is meant to be, and so there must be something more. That something more isn't found in a new car. It's not found in a new job. It's not found in a new boyfriend. It's not found in a new girlfriend. It's not found in the latest technology. It's not found in more money in my checking account. It's not found in whatever you might find underneath your Christmas tree tomorrow morning. It's not found in whatever you're going to find in the Christmas stocking. That, that there's nothing that's going to be found in that. It's found in the greatest gift. The gift of Jesus Christ. And when we realize that, then looking to that baby in the manger becomes what it has always been. It's our only option. Jesus is our only hope. We get to the place where we, like the Apostle Peter, we confess, where else am I going to go, Lord? In you alone are the words of eternal life. Maybe you remember the story. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And I'm not just talking about the 12 apostles. He's talking to all of his disciples. The hundreds who would follow him. And they're all pressing in to hear from him. And he's giving, him, giving to them the hard truths of the truth of his word. And basically what he says to them is, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. Now the, what Jesus was teaching this, this group of people was the folly of trusting in your works to attain a right standing with God and your desperate need, the only need, the only thing that can fulfill your need to be right with God is that Jesus would give his life as a substitutionary sacrifice for, for, for yours. And the eating of his flesh and the drinking of his blood, we partake of communion every Sunday as symbolic of his body that was broken for us, his blood that was shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And he said, unless you do that, you have no part with me. And what we go on to read there in the New Testament is that most of his disciples at that point said, 
I'm out. Forget it. And they all started to leave at that word. And Jesus turns to his disciples. He goes, you guys going to leave now too? And that's when Peter says, well, where else are we going to go? Jesus, you alone have the words that lead to eternal life. This season, my prayer for us is that we lift up our eyes and we celebrate the truth that the word became flesh, became human, made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For, listen, God did not send his Son into this world to condemn the world. Here tonight, he came that the world through him might be saved. God so desperately loves us that he made a way for us to be redeemed. That's what we worship at Christmas. God's great gift, the greatest gift mankind will ever know and maybe tonight, the gift that you desperately need.